Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. My goal today is that you leave this place saying, I cannot believe we serve such an amazing, marvelous, awesome God. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and just ask the question, how big is your God? All right? Now, if anybody says he's that big, that's okay, because you're starting at a starting point. But the truth is, we ought to really examine that question, because sometimes we're not honest about it. Sometimes we say we have a big God, but our actions don't prove it. Because, you know, actions speak way louder than words. So if you say you have a big God, do you trust Him? And not just do you trust Him, but do you totally and completely trust Him? Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalms chapter 115. We're going to start here. we got several passages this morning. But I want to start by the title of the message. The title of the message this morning is The Eternal Decrees of God and the Contingency of Secondary Causes. (laughs) How awesome is that? The eternal decree of God and the contingency of secondary causes. Now, hopefully that just went right over your head and it means nothing to you. To be honest with you, the only reason for the title is because I thought it sounded really smart. That's it. It actually comes from a portion of the Westminster Confession where it talks about the decrees of God and it talks about the contingency of secondary causes. And what that really means is that God, when he says something, it comes to pass, but he often brings what he says to come to pass through events that are human events. That's really what that means. Let me give you an example to start you off. So I was in Colorado uh, this past week uh, doing my annual elk hunting trip, and um, I stopped by to see a lady by the name of Joyce. Now, you might remember, if you were here two years ago, that I told you the story of Joyce. Joyce and her husband, Alan, had been married for 47 years. In 2020, Alan got sick and he died. And so at this point, Joyce had been uh, doing life by herself for almost a year, Now, this is important to know because she lives on one of the most magnificent ranches on the universe. I will tell you this. Her house that she and her husband, Alan, built is so spectacular in every possible way that it would belong in any magazine that highlighted the most beautiful houses in the world. Am I right? It's absolutely spectacular. Every single thing in that house was custom built by her and her husband's own hands from trees off their own 30-acre ranch, marvelous in every way. Well, I stopped in to see Joyce two years ago because I knew that her husband had died the year before and I wanted to check on her, see how she was doing. And as we talked, she was explaining that she was getting along, she was, she was making things happen, she was thinking about you know, some different ways to make an income, all these things, and then she said, but Jeff, the thing that bothers me is I have a water system that doesn't work. She said, I've had plumbers come out and try to fix it, and I've spent $14,000, and nobody can figure it out. Her husband was truly a genius. You would never know because he was a cowboy, but he was an absolute genius, could build and fix anything. And I, I say that not degrading cowboys. I'm just saying sometimes we, we assume that what people do 
equals how, quote-unquote, smart they are. By the way, we should never do that, right? We should, not, we should not do that. So she said, Jeff, it's so complicated that not even trained plumbers can figure out how to get it to work. She said, this is a problem because now I have to carry water to my house from town every couple of days just to take a bath, just to eat, just to wash dishes. And we talked a little bit more. And I said, Joyce, let's do this. Let's pray that God will send somebody to fix this thing. Do y'all remember? Because when I came back, I actually said to the church, I said, church, let's pray that God will send somebody to fix this water system. So we prayed, and here was the, genesis, here was the, the, the nature of the prayer. God, this is not a want. This is not a, it would be nice to. God, this is an absolute widow's desperate need. She's got to have water. So God, Whatever it takes, would you send somebody to fix this water system? I didn't know until a, couple, until a few days ago that God sent somebody. Because a week after we prayed, a guy called her on the phone and said, Joyce, this is Joe. You know, Joe who comes up to hunt once a year and your husband and I become good friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, Joe. He, she, he said, I, I heard that you have a problem with your water system and I'd like to fly up and fix it. She said, no, 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 look, I've had plumbers come out, because Joe wasn't a plumber. Joe worked at a, at, a, at a plant. He worked at a paper mill. Joe said, look, I, I've, I think I can fix it, so I'm going to fly over, and I'm going to fix it for you. She finally said, okay, fine, whatever. A week or two later, he flies from Louisiana, where he lives, and he, within a day, fixes her water system to where she has perfectly clean, perfectly running water. God answered the prayer within a week of us praying. And Joyce told me something that I did not remember saying. After we prayed, I said, Joyce, here's the deal. We've asked God. We've totally laid it upon his lap. Now we have to trust him. She said, Jeff, as you were driving away down my driveway, I said to myself, I'm no longer going to worry about this. I'm just going to trust the Lord. That's a pretty cool story, isn't it? But that's not all the story. Because you know what the rest of the story is, don't you? You've already figured it out. If you're a woman, you figured it out. If you're a guy, you're like, oh, that's a cool story. So Joe fixes the water system and then calls to check on her again. Both of them had been married for a long time. Neither one of them was ever looking for a spouse again. And yet last October, the two of them got married and are happier than they could possibly imagine. Could could you imagine that God would use a broken water system to bring two people together so that they could spend the rest of their lives together, complete as a husband and wife, and it never would have happened had there not been a broken water system? Isn't that cool of the rest of the story? That is what it means that, that the eternal decrees of God coincide with the contingency of secondary causes. It means that sometimes things happen in our life where we don't, find, we don't understand, we don't know that we're a part of what God is doing, but God is doing something and he's using our lives in the midst of it or he's using other people's lives in the midst of it. And so what I intended to do today is take you to 1 Kings chapter 21 and chapter 22 and show you how this plays out in the life of King Ahab. But as I started preparing the message, I realized that that's going to be next week. So we're going to tell the story next week. Today, we're going to lay the groundwork. So you've got to come back next week to hear the really good story, okay? But here's the groundwork. Here is the nuts and bolts of how this works. We're going to start with the premise that says God 
is always at work. You need, to, you need to, 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 to lock this thing in your soul. God is always at work. He never sleeps and he never slumbers. He is always working everywhere. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is always at work. God is always at work. Now, now we know this because Henry Blackaby made it famous in his, in his Bible study called Experiencing God, probably in the 1980s, 1990s. But we need to recapture this understanding that God is always at work. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in our families. He's at work in our church. He's at work in our city. He's at work in our state. He's at work in our country. In fact, sometimes we say this phrase, we're going to Guatemala and we're going to bring Jesus to these people. That sounds, I mean, I understand what we're saying, but nothing could be farther from the truth. We can't bring Jesus anywhere. He's already there. We can't introduce Jesus to a place that he's not already in existence. Now, what we do is reveal who he is. That's what we do. We proclaim the gospel. We make sense of Jesus to people. We help them understand that he's he's working. But God is already at work. Here's the cool part. He was at work in your life for your salvation before you ever prayed to receive him as Lord and Savior. If you're 30 years old when you came to know Christ, he was working in you when you were a baby. He was working in you when you were five. And if you could look backwards and you could see the traces of God's hand in your life, wouldn't you have to say that God was with you in this moment, in this moment, in this moment? And wouldn't you have to say that when the, when the road turned right instead of left, God was in it? Listen, God is always at work. That's kind of a foundation of where we're starting. Because if we don't go get that... We won't understand that God's eternal decrees are because of his nature and because of the character and the strength of character of who he is. So God is always at work. Psalm 115 verse verse 3 says this, our God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. Isn't that great? Here's what that means. I am God, I do what I want. I am God, I don't need your opinion. I am God, I don't need your help. You say, oh, God, 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 God does stuff through it. Yeah, he does, but it's because he chooses to, not because he needs to. God can save the heathen without your help or mine. That was actually a phrase that was given uh, to um, William Carey. When William Carey was, was passionate about taking the gospel across the ocean, a preacher stood up and said, young man, sit down. God will save them without your help or mine. Of course, he totally missed the Great Commission that that, that old pastor did. Because God, want, even though God doesn't have to, he chooses to. So God is always at work. He does what he pleases. The second premise is this. It pleases him to work through and in you and me. Comprehend this. God chooses to do his eternal work, to carry out his eternal decrees through you and through me. And sometimes we don't even know what he's doing. Sometimes we don't even know till after the fact when we look backwards and go, oh my goodness, God used me in that. Isn't that a mar- a marvelous and amazing? Listen to what Philippians uh, chapter 2 verse 13 says, for it is God who is working in you. So God it is, is working in you both to will and to work or to act 
according to his good purpose. So what is that saying? God is always at work, and he does what he pleases, but he does what he pleases, his purpose, through you and through me. All right, we can go home now. I mean, isn't that all we need? I mean, really, do we need anything else but to know that God's at work and he uses us to do it? See, the truth is that really should be all we need, but our problem is that we don't really believe it. Our problem is that we we haven't really let it sink into our soul. It's a concept. It's a thought. For many of us, it's not a practice. It's not a lifestyle. It hasn't gotten to the place where when we look at the wind and the waves, we say, you know what? It doesn't matter that they're wind and waves. God said, come, and so I'm going to come. See, what I'm hoping for, for you and for me, is this unreserved, uncautious, Totally radical, completely childlike faith in what God says. To where we hear the voice of God and we say, okay, let's go. We don't even have to look and ask, is something there to catch me? Because we know that because God said it, it's going to happen. And so, what we need to understand about God is that he is at work in you, both in you and through you, And he doesn't miss a single detail. He doesn't miss a single detail. God is both big picture and microscopic detail. He is the perfect God. Now what does that mean? That means he cares about the big things and he cares about the little things. You and I should trust him in the big things, and you and I should trust him in the little things. It should be an ongoing relationship, an ongoing conversation with God. And it should be that we get to the point where we trust his character and his nature so deeply that we don't even have to question, Lord, are you going to do it? Do you know what the most offensive thing to a father or a mother, I think, for a child to do to them? I think the most offensive thing is for a mother or a father to be doubted by their children. Would you agree with that? So, so I can understand if the mom or dad had a history of not doing what they said, but could you imagine a, a father, for instance... Who, who came through on what he said time after time after time, and yet the child constantly questioned, are you really going to do what you say? Just think about, the, think about the way that would make a father feel. It's, it's an assault on, their char- on his character. It's an assault on his integrity. It's an assault on his competency. It's an assault on his trustworthiness. For your child, your own flesh and blood. Because as dad, you're going, I've raised you. I've provided for you. You've got a house over your head. You've eaten every day of your life. You have clothes on your back. And yet, you're going to question whether or not I'm going to do what I said. Basically, it's the child saying to the father, you're a liar. Do you realize that when we don't trust God, it's equivalent to the same thing? Now, we would never say it that way, but isn't that what it is? Do you agree or disagree? It's saying, God, I'm not sure I can trust you, even though the Word tells me that you you established the heavens, even though the Bible tells me that you raised the sun and put the stars and the moon in their place every night. 
Even though I have story after story after story and witness after witness after witness of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, I just am not sure if I can trust you. You know, I think what that demonstrates is the patience of God. How slow to anger and how patient is our God that we could question his own integrity so often and so much and he still, with gentleness and kindness, say, all right, let's work with you. I think Jesus experienced that with his disciples. Jesus once said to his disciples, are you still so dull, (laughs) right? He's, He's like, how do you not get this? How many miracles do you have to see? How many, how many dead people have to be raised to life? How many blind people have to be receiving their sight? How many lame people have to walk for you to finally believe I am who I say that I am? So here's our premise. God is at work, and he is at work all over the world, every single corner of the earth. And God is at work in you, and God is at work through you, and he misses nothing. Every detail of your life, every, every hair in your head is ordered and numbered. So if that's the case, then we move now to his ability, right? His, his character or his nature. The next premise is that God is it, or, or actually I skipped one. Let me give you the last one of that section. There are macro story, there's a macro story and there are micro stories, God is at work in us for his overall macro story. That means there's one story that God is telling or that God is is revealing, that God is unveiling. And it's the story of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus said to the disciples, how do we pray? Or when they said, "How how do we pray? Jesus said, this is how you pray. And you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God is reestablishing or establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He's, he's reconciling the world to himself. That's the macro story. But the micro story is your story. And it's your story. And it's your story. And it's your story. And it's your story. And so what you need to see, what I need to see, is that God's bigger story has us as a part of it. Now, if you think about that, you have to, you have to wonder, what part do you play? Here's the, really, uh, here's the pressure relief for me and for you. It's not our job to write our story. It's our job to be obedient to God who is writing our story. Does that make sense? So we don't have to figure anything out. All we have to do is one thing. Really two things, hear God and obey God. Because you can't obey God unless you hear God, and, you, and if you hear God, you can't obey Him unless you trust Him, right? So trust and obey, hear and obey. That's, that's our part of the micro story. So what is it about His character and His nature that, uh, that we need to understand? We need to understand that when God speaks, He always delivers, I want you to process that. When God says whatever he says, it will always come to pass. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Amen? Now, as parents, that was a hard thing to do. 
And I had to really be cautious because in the heat of the moment, I would declare something and then I would be like, oh no, great, now I got to do it, right? And sometimes I would say something I didn't really want to do, but because of the emotion of it, I would say it and then I would be caught in this this quagmire of if I don't do what I said I was going to do, then I will teach my children that I'm not really a man of my word. But if I do do what I said I was going to do, then it's really not just or right. It's really overstepping what should be done in this situation. You ever caught yourself in that situation? Right? Like if you do that one more time, I'm going to take away your Nintendo for a month. Or here's even worse. I'm taking your keys for a week. Great, I just punished myself. Now I've become a chauffeur, right? Here's the thing about God. When God declares something, he never declares it haphazardly. He never declares it um, without thinking it through. But when he declares it, he always does it. But it's often not on our timetable. The Bible tells us in uh, James chapter... um, excuse me, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, that a day unto the Lord, or a day unto the Lord is like a thousand years, right? So that means for God, if he says something today, he can do it today, but for us, it'll be like we've waited a thousand years for it. God is not slow on his promises, He does what he says, but he does it in his own time and in his own purposes. Why? Because he knows better than us. And I think, this is just, again, this is just my own own processing of this. I think because he works through the human agent to carry through his purposes, and sometimes the the micro stories have to line up with his eternal decree for that to come to pass. Does that make sense? So sometimes the delay is getting our story to where it needs to be so that it matches the word of what God is going to do. Now, I can't prove that, but I can only say experientially, that's that's what seems to happen. Have you ever wondered how God can answer everybody's prayers precisely and specifically, and oftentimes he matches answers to prayers through each other? Like one person's prayer is another person's answer. Like one person is saying, Lord, would you use me to bless somebody today? And another person's person's prayer is, Lord, I need help today. And God crosses their paths. That's the secondary causes. Um, I have a friend who is really good at raising money. And we were talking the other day. And he said, Jeff, when you ask for people to support your ministry, you don't need to ask them as if, you are, are, are getting something from them. You need to ask them as if you are giving them a chance to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. So he said that, that the question is not, um, will you be an answer to my prayer? The, prayer? the question is, am I an answer to your prayer? Does that make sense? Because listen, godly people who are walking with Jesus are looking for ways to invest what God has blessed them with into the kingdom. It was a total mind shift. It was totally different. But that's what, have you ever considered the fact that God is doing that for every one of our micro stories? Not only in this room, but around the world. There is somebody in Morocco right now that God is answering his prayer or her prayer by somebody in this country. And God just just works it out. 
There is somebody, we hear this with the Christmas shoeboxes all the time, Operation Christmas Child. A child has been praying for a Spider-Man costume or he loves Spider-Man or whatever. And somebody here, Caitlin, is at the store and, and she finds a Spider-Man costume for 10 cents on the dollar. And so she buys it. She packs it in a box. That box goes to a warehouse in Atlanta. And then from Atlanta, it goes on to a ship into a shipping container, shipped all the way across the world. And even though there are millions of boxes that go all over the world, that one box of Spider-Man costume goes to the one little boy who loves Spider-Man above all else. And God sees him. That is how our God works. He crosses these micro stories for his bigger purpose of the macro story of redeeming the world back to himself. And you and I get to be a part of it. We should wake up every day and say, God, what cool thing are you going to do today that I get to be a part of? Now listen, be careful because the moment you say, look what I did, God says, all right, I'm going to have to back you off a little bit, right? Because the moment you steal the glory of God, the moment you steal the credit, that's when, you, that's when you, you, you have to be disciplined a little bit. But when you say, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be a part. I just, I wish I could tell you story after story after story. We would be here for days. And if I listened to your stories, it would be the same way, wouldn't it? So God is at work. God uh, uh, when he speaks, it will always happen. We need to understand that there is no one else who can do this because there is no one like our God. Listen to what Deuteronomy 3.24 says. O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as you. That's the... That's the prayer of someone who's seen the mighty work of God in a way that's marvelous. Listen to what 1 Kings 8.23 says. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no other God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like our God. Now again, that should be enough for us to say, okay, I'm sold, I'm in. I bought the t-shirt, let's do it. It should be enough for us to say, okay, Lord, whatever you say, I'm doing. But it's not. And for some reason, I don't understand it, but, but for some reason we still question and we still doubt and we still wonder. I'm not, being, I'm not getting on to you, I'm just saying at some point you and I have got to move past the, 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 the rational thinking of what we see with our eyes and we need to start believing what we hear with our ears. And the Word of God tells us that God alone can be trusted completely, wholeheartedly, 100% in all ways. God is is unique. There is no one like our God, and God is sovereign. Listen to what Isaiah 40, 14 says, 14 and 15. With whom does God consult? Oh, I love that. Here's what it's saying. Who does God ask for their opinion? With whom does God consult in order to know and understand and learn how things should be done? Think about that a moment. This is Isaiah saying, so uh, tell me, uh, who, who does God consult about the universe? Who is it that God consults about how things should be done and need to be done? And What he's saying is this. He's saying, 
There's nothing that God doesn't know and there's no one who can advise God. There is no one who can advise our God. This is the God who knows you more than you know yourself. This is the God who knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your dreams. He knows your hopes. He knows your faults. He knows your brokennesses. He knows your strengths. And this is the God who is at work in you both to will and to work according to his own purpose. This is the God who is calling you by name and working through your micro story. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? Yes, you can. And so he is sovereign, which means he has absolute authority. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, all authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth had been given to me. Who gave Jesus the authority? God the Father did. You can only give what you possess. You cannot give what you don't possess. God possessed all authority and he gave it to his son. And so with that authority, we also know that his word is all-powerful because the authority holds the power, right? All right, so my question to you is this. If, if this is the God that we serve, if this is the God that we proclaim, what does it mean for us in our life? It means that as God is working in us and through us, we need to be aware of it and we need to be obedient to it. Did you know that God enacts judgment upon nations and people through nations and people? Did you know that? In Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, God brought judgment upon people and nations through people and nations. And He didn't need a perfect person to do it. Again, he would cross the stories. When I look at the story of uh, Samson, this is what I find. Remember, I preached on that several months ago. Samson got everything wrong. He took a Nazarite vow, which means he had to do three certain things, and he broke all three of them. He couldn't touch dead bodies. Um, you know, he, he had to keep his hair uncut. So he, he, he broke every one of these vows... And yet God still used him to enact judgment upon the Philistines. Why did he do that? Because as a seminary professor once said, God makes straight licks with crooked sticks. Now God wants to use a holy vessel. He would prefer to use someone who was a holy vessel. But he will use you even if you are an unholy vessel. Because the decrees of God are greater than your life and your story. Does that make sense? So, so how, what does that mean to us? That means that God is still going to use us, but, but the joy and the relationship and the presence of God comes when we're in alignment with God rather than Him using us as a secondary cause. Wouldn't it be better to be a willing participant in the work of God? rather than an unknowing participant? Could, could you imagine God doing something so cool, so magnificent, so life-changing, eternally changing, and you not even knowing about it? I mean, think of the joy that you would miss. So, um, I was hunting this past week, and I was able to score a, 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 an elk. But I'm, I'm convinced that I was able to, 
to, to fill my tag because of other people's movement in the, in the, in the mountains. And the thing is, they didn't even know that they were the reason that the elk were in front of me. They had no idea. Now, I was glad for it. But wouldn't it have been much cooler to know that they had a part of the story? Does that make sense? You're a part of people's story every single day. Wouldn't you rather be a willing participant rather than an unknowing participant? Why? Because a willing participant begins to say, man, look how God is at work. It reminds you that God is, is moving in you and through you as opposed to you just walking right on by it and having no idea. So, God uses man to fulfill his purposes. He uses men to judge nations. But you have to understand, too, that he doesn't cause or, 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 or tempt us to sin. So just because Samson was used to judge the nations doesn't mean that God caused Samson to deny his vow. That's very important. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 13, that God cannot, can neither be tempted nor can he tempt so, so God's not going to cause you to sin. God will use you as righteous much easier than he'll use you as unrighteous. But if you're unrighteous, he can still use you. But don't blame God. Don't say, well, well, I needed to sin so that God could fulfill his purpose. Right? No. God doesn't need you to sin. But even in the midst of it, God can redeem it for something for his own glory. And so the last part is that he uses you and me to carry out his work. Not just here, but everywhere he is at work. Amen? So what do we do? What is our, um, what is our job? What is our, what is our responsibility? What is our requirement? Number one, our responsibility is to make sure we are on the right side. Here's what that means. That means that God is the side that we need to be on. You know, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to jo uh, Joshua. And Joshua asked the question, because the angel of the Lord was standing there with his sword. And, and Joshua said to the angel, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? You remember what the answer was? He said, neither. But as the commander of the Lord's army, I now come. Here's what he was saying. He's not on your side, but you need to be on his side. God's side is the only side that matters. Here's why. Because you know how many people God needs on his side to fulfill his purpose? None. Everybody go like that. Okay. None. God needs nobody on his side, but he invites you to be on his side. So how do you, get, how do you know that you're on his side? That's the second thing. The only question you really need to ask is this. What does God say? That's all you need to know. You don't need to know how it's going to work. You don't need to know when it's going to work. All you need to know is what does God say. When you lock into the voice of God, when you know that the Lord has spoken, you can take it to the bank and say, okay, God, I trust you. Everything from here on out, it doesn't matter what path we take. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter even if I understand why it's taking the path it's going I trust you. Travis, this is for you, brother. And me. Don't make any sense. 
but you can trust him because he knows you more than you even know yourself. Amen? So you got to be patient, you got to wait, and you got to cry out to him. Because whatever he's doing, I promise you, is out of his loving kindness, even though it doesn't look like it, he will bring glory to himself and he will be faithful to his promises to you and to your whole family. What if, what if this whole thing was so that someone else could come to faith in Christ? Would it be worth it? Or what if it was God re, reordering the purpose of your life? What if it was Him just, just shaving off some of the parts that, that don't belong? You know, what if He's like, yeah, we're going to cut a little off of here and cut a little off of there? <laughs> Probably so, right? Even though it hurts. That's right. Listen. And I said, Travis, but I could call all of you. I could call me. Joe, that's what God's doing with you. And, and, and we, don't, we don't always want it, but we go, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to trust God. And here's the thing. Trusting God doesn't mean we don't second guess and, 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 and doubt, right? Sometimes we're like, we're, we're so condemning to ourselves because any doubt was like, oh, I just don't trust God. No, you are, you are trusting God and, and you're battling the flesh as well because the flesh is going, hey, can you really trust him? That's the enemy, by the way. Isn't that what the enemy said to, to, to Eve? Did God really say? Think about that. What did, he, what did the enemy question Eve on? Did God really say? And then he twisted and said, God didn't say that. God said this. It's always about what God says. My own life. I'm walking a, walking a new path for us. And we're, we're going, hey, I'm ready to go. And the next day going, how's this going to work? And it's, I feel like I'm a schizophrenic psychopath here, back and forth and back and forth. And the thing is this. God, have you called? God, have you spoken? Because if the answer is yes, my only option is to walk. Right? So, make sure you're on the right side. Discover what did God really say. Fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to revere Him for who He really is. God, You are sovereign. God, You are marvelous. God, You are, you are full of loving kindness. God, You are holy. God, You are perfect. God, all of these words I could possibly describe You with are not enough. They pale in comparison to who You really are. You and I need such a big view of God that we can't even stand it. That we can't even look because it's so big. And then finally, walk in obedience and boldness. Obedience and boldness. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Trust in the Lord with most of your heart. No. No. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. 
Don't, don't lean on, on what you see. Don't lean on what you understand. Don't lean on what you can explain. But in all of your ways. You see how extreme it is? You see how radical it is? But in all of your ways. What's the rest of it? Acknowledge Him. That's the fear of the Lord. God, I acknowledge who you are. I recognize you are all powerful. You are, you are always at work. I, I understand you got a giant story and my little story is just a part of it. I know that you're sovereign. I know that there's no other God but you. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And here's the promise. Here's the payoff. He will direct or make straight your paths. Can you trust him? Now, let me just be a fly in the ointment. Don't say you trust him unless you're willing to trust him. Because actions speak louder than words. Here's how you know if you trust him. What has he said to you already that you're telling him no about? Wherever you're telling him no, that reveals where you have a lack of trust. If God has said to do it and you haven't done it, you don't really trust him. Right? Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're not sure if you hurt. You know, all these different reasons. But if God has spoken and you don't obey, you don't really trust him. I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying that to encourage you. Because what I'm saying to you is this. You can trust him. Remember that hymn? When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He shed on the way. Let us do His good will. He delights in us still for all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy, content, fulfilled in Jesus but to trust and obey. You can only trust Him, or you can only obey Him if you trust Him. That is your call today. Will you? You close your eyes and bow your head for a moment. In this place, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, the Bible says that there are only two options when you die. You will go to heaven, be in God's presence, or you will go to hell and be separated from Him for all of eternity. And the Bible says that it is not His will that anyone perish, but that all would have eternal life. And the Bible says that eternal life is only found through Jesus Christ. And that only comes by grace through faith that you are saved. It's not of works so that nobody can earn it, deserve it, or boast about it. So if you're here today, or if you're watching by camera, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, I want to ask you to do that now. Through grace or by grace through faith. This morning, if you know Jesus and there are areas of your life that you're not yet trusting him, I want to invite you to just lay down your lay down your fight and trust him. You say, I don't know how. It's one step at a time. Just take one step towards him. Because he's already taken five towards you. Father in heaven, I pray for these your people. I pray that we would totally and radically and completely trust you. I pray that we would understand who you are, 
to see you as high and lifted up as you truly are. And I pray, Lord, that we would trust you with every fiber of our being. We ask this in Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.com.